Well, as uh, many of you know, I recently was on a seven-day hike on the west coast of Vancouver Island. Uh, if you didn't know that, or maybe you really don't care, that's fine. Uh, it was sent out in a, in a letter that I sent out in, uh, in summer. But I wanted to show you a couple of pictures uh, from that, and there's a reason for it. It does connect and have a purpose to what I want to uh, say here today. So I, I have a picture there that's uh, part of it. It's a grueling hike, beautiful hikes. Some of you have uh, done it. I know there's a number of people here who have. Scenery is stunning. Um, the uh, nighttime, you get to sleep on a beach with waves and sunsets and listen to those beautiful sounds. We even saw orcas breaching off in the distance, which was quite uh, amazing. If the weather is warm enough, you get to swim in the ocean and even in the freshwater uh, pools, which we had the privilege of being able to do. Um, but, oh yeah, you also get to grunt out 75 kilometers of some of the most brutal ladders, rocks, roots, trail, and sand, where you feel every muscle in your body, some for the first time, some that you never knew you had. You can hurt in places that you didn't know that you could hurt, because, oh yeah, that's me in the corner there, um, <laughs> if you didn't notice that. Feeling my age, that was day five when you kind of hit a wall, or at least I did. I don't think the others necessarily did. We had an interesting group. So our group started out with six people. It began uh, with just uh, two of my daughters, a friend of uh, Jody's from Alaska named Kendall, uh, my friend Milton Block, who many of you know, he was a part of this as well, and then my brother Fred, who's 10 years older than me, and uh, he is a lawyer in Montreal. He's lived there for many decades, and uh, so it was just great to have this group. Now, I've led a number of groups uh, on this trip over the years, and one of the reasons I like the number six is because there's six nights on the trail. And it's kind of a nice size of group to work with and so on, but uh, it's also uh, uh, an opportunity to have conversations around uh, the campfire every night. And so one of the things that I do when I lead this is I say, okay, every night everybody gets a night and you get to tell your story around the campfire. So each person is sort of designated in a night. And uh, the two questions were simply, tell your life story, and secondly, what are you processing right now? What's current uh, in your life? And so that's what we began to do. And then you can ask any questions that you want. And so we have a great conversation around that. But the first day, it was interesting, our group expanded. It got bigger. Uh, we uh, added a few, and you can sort of see there. Uh, I won't bother to try to identify who all those people are, but that's our original six plus three. Um, because we had some interesting things that happened as others joined us. Two of the girls that you see in there, are Aunt Anne and Verena. They're German girls, 23 years old, who joined us right on the very first day. Now, if any of you know Milton Block, he has a bit of a gregarious personality. He talks to anyone. And uh, so pretty soon he's gathering all these people uh, into our group, and it was wonderful. Uh, about a day or two later, we also had a man by the name of Vincent, also about a 23-year-old or 22-year-old guy. He was from north of Quebec City, French-Canadian. All three of these add-ons spoke really good English, perfect English in many ways. Uh, and so we had now this ragtag team of about nine, of nine people. Uh, you know, first of all, some from Western Canada, a pastor, teacher, students. We had an Alaskan. We had a transplanted prairie boy who's lived in Montreal for decades. We had a Northern Quebecois man, and uh, we had two German girls studying to be dentists. It was quite a group. I said, we're like the Lord of the Rings troupe, you know? <laughs> And it's like, who is each of these? And so one of the things in the next weeks, by sharing our pictures, we're going to identify who is, is who uh, in that. And so our group became good friends very quickly. And I know that the, the, peop the, 
the people in our group just connected with each other so well. But here's the interesting thing about adding these three young adults, and this is the, the point of what I want to get to, is that none of them are believers. None of them were people who had any background of faith whatsoever. And so they just joined our group. They felt loved and accepted, and they just wanted to be a part of it. So we started at the campfires the first night, and uh, we started these conversations. And you need to know that those campfires were the absolute highlight of my trip. And I think for everybody in the group, they would say the same thing. The conversations that happened, the questions, the discussions about the big questions in life. And so first night I told, it was just Anna and Verena at the first night, and I told them, well, here's what we do. We're just going to start. We're going to start by just telling stories. And so you're welcome to join in and sit around our campfire and listen in and ask questions, but this is what we're doing. And they were game. They were really excited to do that. So Milton goes first, and he tells his life story, and he tells the God story and how his story and God's story are connected, and he's sharing that. And, uh, and it was just a really, really rich beginning. Then the next night, Kendall went, and she shares some of her story. Again, her life story and God's story and how they connect together. And then the next night, I go, and we do the same thing, and on and on. And these girls are asking question after question after question every night. They're saying, you know, okay, you, you talk about a life of faith, so, so what do you mean by that? What is, what is a life of faith? You, you talked about sin. What's, what's sin? Um, how, do you, how is it that you pray? How, how, how do people pray? I mean, these are the kind of conversations that we had every night. Questions about God, Jesus, prayer, sin, faith, about careers, about relationships, Lots of talk about boyfriends, with families, parents, uh, I mean, everything that you can imagine. And we had some of the most deep and meaningful and relevant conversations that I've had in a long, long time. It was interesting because even though we kind of hiked separately throughout the day, at night, nobody missed a campfire. Everybody was back there. Everybody was convening, ready to hear the next story of, of who was going next. They also wanted to share as well. And so we had to double up because everybody had to have a chance to share. So there was a number of nights with two stories. Vincent from Quebec, he said he had never been part of anything like this. And, and this wasn't our intent. I mean, this was no design. I mean, I was, I was astounded at what God was doing. It was just like, okay, God, you have something more in, in store for us than I ever thought. And Vincent, he says, you know, I've never been a part of anything like this where people like share and people actually listen to each other and and ask these kinds of questions and have these kind of conversations. On the last night, he goes, and as part of his story, he's, he's just upfront and honest because he's a savior. He says, well, I actually don't believe in God at all, and here's my background, and I was okay, and we just had a conversation around that. And as they shared their stories, it gave us a chance to ask questions and to just have really open conversations and to just love each other. So on the last night, I asked, the question, the final question, I said to everybody in the group, okay, so what, what is it that you take away from the trail? What do you take away from this week? And everybody kind of went through there, and person after person talking about these campfires and the transformation that was happening there in the lives of people. And Verena from Germany, she says, I am so, here's a quote, she said, I am so encouraged that there are people like you out there. And I think what she meant by that as we discern that and talk through that a little bit is just, Christians who have a real faith, who their faith is relevant to their lives and who talk about it freely and also who show unconditional love. Because she said, you just accepted us for how we are and for who we are. It was a powerful, powerful time. 
I came away from that thinking, wow, I just had my own alpha experience for six days on the trail. And that was by no design of ours. It was only by God's design. Because he's the only one who could have orchestrated all of that. And it struck me, again, that there are people all around us all the time who are asking the big questions of life. There are people around us all the time longing for community, looking for a safe place to be known, a safe place to ask questions. It's the people beside you, even right now, sitting in the pews. It's the people in your workplaces, in your places of social interaction. It's many of you asking those questions. And maybe you're somebody here even today who has not, does not understand what it means to have a life of faith with Jesus and are exploring that yourself. But we all have these kinds of big questions. Is there more to life than this? We might sense that there's something missing or that there's maybe just something more than what we're experiencing. Questions that we all share and, and face at different parts of our life is things like, okay, well, who am I? Where have I come from? Where am I heading? What is the bigger purpose of life? And then I had my experience on Thursday. So Thursdays is a primary sermon prep day for me. And I, I spent a couple of hours this Thursday at a Starbucks. And I encountered this thing. And, I, and it, the story unfolded. And I actually wasn't going to tell it to you today because I thought nobody will believe me. This is just too strange. But I'll, I'll share it with you. Um, so I'm standing, sitting there and, and I'm working at this table. And all of a sudden I hear this voice over my shoulder. And the person says, so are you a writer? I'm like, didn't even notice the guy good-looking young man standing there, and he asked me if I'm right. Well, I said, well, yeah, I'm a pastor writing a sermon, and that's usually a deal-breaker right there. That stops the conversation. <laughs> but, but no, he was interested, and so he's asking me questions, and we're talking about that, and, and you know, sort of engaging around that, and I found out that, you know, his background, he says his dad grew up in the Muslim faith, and his mom grew up Pentecostal. I said, now that's got to be an interesting combination. He goes, well, it's even more complex than that. We were just South of Regina is where we grew up, and we actually brought in First Nations kids into our home as well, too. And so I said, now that's got to be an interesting household. And absolutely. And so we had this, this conversation that was a delightful conversation. His name is Coden. Bright U of S student studying philosophy and something else I can't remember, and he wants to be a lawyer. So I told him about Alpha. I asked him, have you ever heard of Alpha? Nope, never heard of it. Uh, I invited him to come, and then, and then he asked me this question. He says, so what do you think the purpose of life is? I thought, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> I'm thinking I'm getting punked here, right? I'm looking around going, there's got to be a camera here somewhere. But no, it was a legitimate question. So we started to have this conversation, because you have to understand, I just wrote that paragraph that I just said about, you know, there's people all around us asking the big questions. I just wrote that while I was sitting there, and then this question comes to me. So we had this great talk. And uh, Coden might even be here this morning. And Coden, if you are, stay anonymous, you know, bless you. I just want you to know, Coden, that you blessed me incredibly. Because people are asking those questions. People are, are, are wondering about these things. We all are asking different questions. And that's the point of this alpha season this fall, is to give that space, that context, that intentionality to be asking those questions and having those conversations with people. I would encourage you to be in prayer this fall, to be in prayer intensely and say, God, what is it that you have in store for me? What is it that you have in store for us? Who is it that, that you might lead to my campfire to have a conversation? Who is it that we need to kind of make space for in our circles, in our settings, in our conversations in one way or another? Because you see, if, 
If we look at this alpha season as only a program or only an event or a series of events or some kind of mechanistic process that we're engaged with, we'll completely miss the point. It's not about that. It's about, do we actually have a relevant faith? Which is why that is one of our core values, is do we have a relevant faith that actually pertains to the matters at hand in our lives? The things that we're going through, the high points in our lives, the low points in our lives, is our faith so relevant that we actually have a story to tell? Because people all around us are looking to those of us who say we are Christ followers and saying, is your faith actually relevant to your life? And they're watching And so it's a good time for all of us to be reflecting and asking that question as well too. How relevant is my faith today and in my life? And how is it transforming me continually and changing me and shaping the way I make decisions and shaping the way I live out my life? We have to ask those questions. Our key text today is a well-known verse from John chapter 14. It's verse 6. Because you see, the disciples, they too were asking big questions. Life questions. They were asking questions about who they were and trying to understand their, their place in this story that was unfolding and the things that they were experiencing. They were asking questions about Jesus and who he was. They had been with Jesus now for a number of years and they were still trying to figure out who is this man? Who is this person? And how do we understand what he's calling us to? And, and what does it mean to follow him? And so they had been asking a lot of these questions. And in fact, it was in response to a question that Thomas asked that Jesus said this most remarkable and loaded statement that is our text today. Because he had been preparing his disciples for for years now, or or he had been preparing them after having been with them for years, he had been preparing for him to be leaving. And he's talking about the fact, if you read that, the verse we're going to look at in context, he was talking about he would return again one day. And that he would not leave them or forsake them, that he would leave his Holy Spirit with them. And though they're trying to understand this, And then Thomas, in his question in in verse 5, he reveals that not only does he not know the destination that Jesus is going, but he also does not know the way to get there. Because he says, we we don't know, Lord. He says, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? When Jesus was saying, I need to go away, and then I will return for you. And then Jesus says this most remarkable statement that says so much more than Thomas was even asking. And he says, I am the way the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And you know, when you look at that one short verse and all that is contained in there, it is so loaded. I mean, these were disciples who had grown up in the Jewish faith. They had had grown up with that understanding that nobody sees the face of God. In fact, John records that earlier in in the gospel in John chapter 1, verse 18, and he says, as a matter of fact, like just no one has seen God. And then he goes on and he's talking about Jesus. And here Jesus is saying that the fullness of God is standing here in front of you. That's what he's saying to these Jewish disciples as they're trying to change their frame of mind and their worldview is getting kind of rocked here in all kinds of ways, ways that I don't think we fully understand. But Jesus is saying he's not simply a good teacher or spiritual guide or simply a means to another destination. He's saying he is the end, he is the goal, he is the destination, and he is the way. It's a very exhaustive, exclusive claim. And it's one that cannot be ignored. And I think it's actually one of the biggest questions of this series that we're looking at. And next week we're going to go into that more specifically in terms of who Jesus 
is. But here Jesus says this statement that I'm sure just rocked the worldview of these disciples as they were trying to sort out some of the big questions that they had in life as well. Gary Burge is a commentator, and he he says it this way about this text. He says, It is not simply that Jesus is sent on a divine mission on behalf of the Father, but that the Father himself is on a divine mission in the life of his Son. And as you read chapter 14 in its entirety, and you look at this one verse in the context of all of chapter 14, you see this teaching of the Trinity, this teaching of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how Jesus is teaching about his Spirit that he's going to leave with him that will indwell these disciples. And he says, I need to leave in order that the Spirit will come. And it's this deep teaching about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how the Father is resident in the life of the Son, and how the Son will return to his disciples in the form of the Spirit. And how Father and Son, therefore, are dwelling within them. So you see, Jesus is saying so much here in answering what Thomas might have thought was a bit of a simple question, but he's answering it in a very big way. With a loaded statement that was just saying so much about some of the biggest questions of faith and of life that we might have. So Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. You know, one of the big questions that we can ask from time to time is just simply, what, well, what path are we on? And what's the journey that this path is actually, and the, the direction that this path is actually taking us? Because we're all on a path going somewhere. We're all following something or someone, and it's leading us somewhere. So it would be really good for us to be intentional, and sometimes we are. We're very intentional, we're very focused, and we ask those questions, okay, What is this path, and what is the destination that it's taking us to? But we also know that oftentimes we're not so intentional, and we go through life, and we make these series of decisions and and life choices, and maybe we don't think that they're so big uh, at the time, and we just see them as sort of disconnected choices, but they're really not. They're really very connected steps on a very particular path that are going in a very specific direction, and they're leading us somewhere. So it's good for us to ask that question about what path are we on and where is it taking us you know i said to our group on the on the west coast trail i said you know it's, it's actually not that complicated uh to stay on the path to keep the ocean on the left the mountains on the right you'll be fine um it's a little more complicated than that at times and you can get somewhat lost but but there is a path there is a direction andy stanley he uh, wrote a great book called the principle of the path and he says in there that oftentimes we look for solutions but what we really need is a new direction Because direction, not good intentions, is what determines our destination. So we have to ask the question, what is is the direction that we are facing? What is the direction that we are going? What is it that we are walking towards, either intentionally or unintentionally? What are the series of decisions and life choices that we are making that are leading us along a very specific path, that are taking us to an end goal that hopefully we understand and intentionally are going towards? Or is it something that we are just going towards unintentionally and not truly aware of? The actual destination. Because decisions lead us somewhere. Whether they're financial decisions that we make in an incremental way, whether they're relationship decisions that we make that again seem like this incremental, disconnected thing, but they lead us somewhere. It's the daily decisions that we make. And so we need to ask ourselves from time to time what is the path that we are on? What is the way that we are going? So Jesus' invitation here in this short, concise 
verse is that we are to recognize that he is both the way and the destination. And that daily choices that we might make either lead us to him and the way that he's created us to live, or they lead us somewhere very different. C.S. Lewis said it this way in one quote. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but by it I see everything else. In other words, he's saying that, that, that Jesus is the light that illuminates our lives, that helps us to see everything else so much more clearly. The psalmist says it this way. says, the word of God is a lamp for our feet and it lights our path. And so what path are we on? Jesus also said, I am the truth. Now you might say, as many people do, well, that's great. Good for you. This relationship with Jesus helps you find meaning and purpose. That's great for you, but it's not for me. Now, logically, that can't be the case. Because if it's true, it's true for everyone. And if it's not true, then it's really not great news for me. So it really matters whether it's true. Which is one of the things that I encourage you and all of us to again explore throughout this fall series. Is this a true story? Is this in fact true? Because it matters. Paul, he said a similar thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he was teaching about the resurrection and the centrality of this event, of not only Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, but the fact and the reality of Jesus being raised from the dead. And in his teaching about the resurrection and the importance of its truthfulness, Paul says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is also useless. Pretty strong words that Paul says. C.S. Lewis again put it like this in regards to Christianity as a whole, but also clearly reflected in this statement uh, that Jesus made in our primary text in John 14, 6. C.S. Lewis says, Christianity is a statement which, if it's false, is of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The one thing that it can't be is moderately important. And so he's saying that the truthfulness of it is extremely important for us to wrestle with and to understand and to explore and to embrace, and to believe. And then Jesus said, I am the life. You know, we look for true life in all kinds of places. We know that. We see that happening in the lives of people around us. We've experienced that in our own lives. We look for things where we can place our trust and our hope and our foundation. We try to build our foundation on these things, and we think, okay, that's, that's what's going to give me life. That's what's going to kind of hold up all of the hopes and dreams of my life in some way. We don't always intentionally do that, but subtly we do, and oftentimes that's one of those pathways that we actually don't recognize until we finally stop and look up and go, okay, how did I get here? But these small life choices and these small decisions have been actually just steps of leading us to actually trusting in things that were never intended to be the foundation of our lives. Bernard Levin is a a great columnist of the last century in the UK, and and he said this in an article um, from the context of that country. And he said, Countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them. 
And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. You know, King Solomon also explored these different places of finding true life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about how he first explored wisdom. Wisdom's a good thing. Let's explore wisdom. And he pursued that and explored wisdom in all that it offered. And he comes to the end of it and he says, you know, you know what, this is foolishness. It's actually very fleeting and it comes up empty. Then he explored pleasure. He says, let's look at pleasure and all the so-called good things of life. What you might call wine, women, and song. And he explored that and pursued that right to the end. And at the end, he too found that that was rather empty. He calls it fleeting, meaningless, like a chasing after the wind. Then he says, well, let's explore wealth and look at homes and look at orchards and livestock and gold and silver and all of these things that we can amass and that we can collect together and that we can have as as part of our life and and the good things of life. This is what will give life. Same result. And in fact, led to that line that has been borrowed and made famous by the band U2 where he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So, He concludes that these are actually gifts that God has given us to enjoy. These are are things that are blessings that God has given us to enjoy, but they were never intended to be the foundation of our lives. And he concludes that the foundation of our lives is to be the pursuit of God and who God is and only God. A number of years ago, in McLean's magazine, I read this article, and there was this quote by a pollster named Alan Gregg. And it was in, I believe it was in 2005. And Alan Gregg, to my knowledge, is not a believer. I don't know. But uh, he does research within Canada and he studies different trends and so on. And in his study, he found this trend that he articulated this way. He said, I would say that the major trend today is different than anything I've seen in the past. It's something that I refer to as joyless prosperity. It describes a population that recognizes its healthy financial situation but feels little optimism and joy about life. And he was talking about Canada. He was talking about this country. He was talking about the fact that, that we live in an era that we have, in many ways, more wealth than we've ever had before, and yet there is this joyless prosperity that is pervasive amongst our people because we don't fully understand what gives purpose and meaning to our life. I want to just ask you this question. What are the big questions of life for you? What about those that are around you? What are the big questions of life of those that you live close by? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your fellow students in the classrooms that you're a part of. Oftentimes, it's just opening up a safe place for conversation that you can get to those questions really quickly. I would also encourage each one of us to be asking, okay, so what are the big questions of life for me today? That's what we want to explore this fall, is to provide those safe contexts, those places for open conversations, those places where we're intentional to reflect on what is the relevance of my faith to my life? Does it actually pertain to all the matters at hand that I'm facing with today? Because you see, Jesus said in this text, here's what he was saying, Jesus does not merely point the way, he is the way. 
Jesus does not just teach us the truth. He is the truth. He does not just represent one avenue to life. He is the life. In other words, the human quest for God ends in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you today. And we thank you for the truths of these texts. We thank you for the reality of the resurrection and the implications for our lives. And Lord, I thank you that we are able to come to Scripture and come to you with all the big questions in life that we may have. And that you can withstand that, that Scripture can withstand that. I pray that we would be a people who would be okay also with walking through and talking through some of the big questions in life. God, would you just awaken us to people around us where they are searching, where they are asking? And God, would you also help us to be a people who ask better questions and also listen better? And Lord, may we just love people with an unconditional love that would create those kind of safe places to really uh, point people towards you in a humble and gracious but truthful way. So Lord, we ask for more than we could ask or imagine. We pray for that this fall. Would you change us and transform us as individuals and as a church by the power of your Holy Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.